We're also glad to have our guest speaker today. Pastor Bruce is on vacation, as you know, and uh, on this end of the year, we have had the privilege of partnering with uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in many ways, in a give and take. Uh, we have invested in them, and we have several students, as you know, that attend Midwestern. And uh, for today, we invited Dr. John Mark Yates to be with us. We are glad that you are here and uh, just met him in person. Actually, I ran into him at uh, uh, Freddy's, so I know he has good taste in food. And uh, I said, hey, you ought to speak. And he said, I'm willing to. And so we're glad that he is here. He's with his wife, Angie, and her father-in-law. Sir, we're very glad that you are with us. And four wonderful kids. Could you guys just, just stand? Since you're not, you know, like, yes, yeah, there you go. I love it. This guy, he is all over it. Let's give them a hand. Jackson, you're my man. You're my man. I am glad that you are here. He said, Dad, look at your face in the bulletin. I said, just wait till he sees your face on the screen. And Jackson, your face is up there. Is that awesome or what? Yeah, yeah. So we're glad that they are here. And uh, you've already read about uh, Dr. Yates and what uh, the ministries that he has. So I won't go over that. But we are glad uh, that their family is spending Sunday, the last Sunday of, the, of this year, with us. And so we're glad to have you with us. I'm going to have you stand again for our scripture reading. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. And then Dr. Yates will come and, and preach to us. Turn your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Or if you need a pew Bible, page 682. Page 682 in your pew Bible. We're going to learn how to be living in the new this year. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetous, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. But now you must also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we come once again asking your blessings upon this service. Lord, we want you to be here. We want you to speak to us. And in anticipation of hearing from you, we want to surrender our hearts unto you. Lord, the holidays can be hard, they can be a high, and they can be a low, and they can be all of that at one time. And so we pray that you would prepare hearts and you would minister to hearts. We pray that you would bless and anoint and use our speaker for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. I am so glad to be joining with you today. I was really hoping for more snow already. We don't have it yet. I guess it's coming uh, later today, and that'll be a good thing. I moved here from Texas a couple of years ago, and one of the things that I really was looking forward to was snow. I, in Texas, we rarely had it, and so I was always looking forward to it. It just so happened that after our first Christmas season here uh, two years ago, we had a ton of snow, so I decided I'm going to buy a snowblower. And uh, thank you. Uh, you guys can thank me later if you don't like snow, because I think I'm the one who brought the, the no snow for the last two years because I've had a snowblower wanting to use it and I haven't been able to. So it's just been sitting. So I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a big snow count tonight so that I can at least dust it off and maybe use it once uh, ever since I bought it. Well, today I want us to focus on what does it mean to live in the new? We read, Chris read for us out of Corinthians where Paul told us that we are a new creation. We're a new creature. And then in this text that we've just read together in Colossians chapter 3, the reminder to put on that which is new, to put away the old and to put on the new. And so what does that mean? How many of you are already thinking about your New Year's resolution? Nobody. All right. Some of you already given up on even trying to do that anymore, right? It's a, it's a cycle that we do every year. Kind of come to the end of the year, you finish all of the Thanksgiving, Christmas, you step on the scales and you go, well, I know what my New Year's resolution is. Uh, I've got to lose some of the, the Christmas cookies that I, I, I took in during the season. Or, or maybe I need to work on some sort of uh, project at work and I need to accomplish that. Or maybe I need to set a new goal. At the start of every new year, it seems like we have a habit and a pattern of setting new goals and new targets for ourselves. How many times, though, do we do that and then just kind of give up on that by around, oh, maybe the third week of January? We kind of get into these cycles where we start and then we stop and we start and we stop. The number one reason why many of us do this is we don't have good focus. We don't have a desire, a laser-like focus to get at things. One of my greatest reminders of a laser-like focus actually came from my son Jackson, who you met earlier. Um, I was working in the house one day. Uh, I was actually folding laundry. My wife was at a woman's event, and my daughter comes running upstairs going, Dad, Dad, Jackson is on the roof. Come now. Come quick. I stopped, and I thought for a second, how did he get on the roof? I mean, my ladders are put in a way where he can't get them, and 
this doesn't make any sense. She's like, Dad, no, you got to come now. And so I come outside, and sure enough, running along the roof of our patio was Jackson. And he's going back and forth barefoot on a metal roof. And I was like, this is going to be disaster, ER visit, and everything rolled up into one. But it still boggled my mind. How did he do this? And so I'm surveying, and I notice, well, the trash can is not in the right spot. And what is all the stuff on the trash can? Well, come to find out, Jackson had in his mind a goal, a desire, a focus. He wanted to see what was on the roof, and nothing was going to stop him. So Jackson took the, if you've seen these big wheeled trash cans, and he wheeled it from the driveway, put it around in front of the porch, then went and got one of those little step stools, stepped up onto the top of the lid of the trash can, then brought the step stool up on top of the trash can, this is an engineer in the making, and uh, then tried to get up from there onto the roof. Well, it wasn't quite tall enough, so Jackson got down from there, brought the ladder down, went back into the garage, got some books. One thing I have lots of is books, and so he went and got some books out of the garage, stacked them on top of the trash can, used the stairs to climb up on top of the trash can, on top of the books, bring the ladder up on top of the books, on top of the trash can, so then he could climb up and then run around on the roof. He had a focus, he had a goal, and he knew exactly what he was going to do. And that's what he did. He accomplished what he wanted to do and what he set out to do. How about in our own spiritual lives, though, do you and I often set out and we make the mistake of getting going onto a track and then we get distracted or we hit a small roadblock or we hit a place where we can't quite make it to the next place and we just give up? Or maybe we hit that spot in our life where we, we fall into that sin one more time and then we make the assumption that we don't need to follow Christ anymore as in depth. Paul has words for us today. And in fact, as we talk about living in the new, one of the things that I want us to understand that this text teaches is that Jesus Christ is everything. Would you say that with me? Jesus Christ is everything. One more time. Jesus Christ is everything. And Paul is very clear about how this works out. In fact, he unfolds this in three different sections to help us understand how Jesus Christ is everything. If we can understand that this morning, I think it could be a good encouragement for you as you look into 2016 and you set goals for maybe what God could be doing in your heart and your life and preparing your heart for that. Now, one of the first things that Paul starts off with right there in verse 1 is he tells us exactly what he wants us to get out of this first paragraph. And this is the first point that I want us to see is that we need to seek Jesus first. Seek Jesus first. Notice in verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek Christ first. Now this should come as no surprise. In fact, what did Jesus tell us even in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek Jesus first. This is to be the main passion and heartbeat of every single one of our lives. Now notice it does have a conditional clause right there at the beginning. If then you have been raised with Christ. There are some of us, perhaps even in this room, who have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is for those of us who are believers. In fact, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, friends, this should be a normative exercise in our life that we are perpetually seeking after Jesus. 
And you say, but wait a second. I thought I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I found Jesus. I once was lost and now I'm found seeking done. I can check that off my list. This seeking is a perpetual thing that happens in our hearts and our lives as we pursue the one thing that matters most in our life, and that's Jesus. Remember that phrase we said earlier, Jesus Christ is everything? Why don't you say that with me one more time? Jesus Christ is everything. So if we are going to pursue Jesus Christ, if we're going to seek Jesus first, Jesus Christ must become everything in our heart and our life. Now, he breaks this down for us even further. And he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. His first instruction is to seek after heavenly things. Now, in your life, what are the things that you pursue most? Is it job promotion? Is it more money in the bank? Is it a stronger 401k? Is it maybe your, your children's future? Maybe their education? Maybe your own education? Seek first the things that are above where Christ is. So if we're going to be those who seek Jesus first, we need to put our focus on Jesus Christ and search for the treasures of the richness of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on in verse 2, tells us to set our minds on things that are above. I have a friend, his name is Ben. Ben is really concerned about the church. And one of the things that Ben is concerned about in the church is his understanding of how few of us are willing to engage and challenge our minds when it comes to seeking Jesus Christ. Many of us, our entire process of education in the Christian faith is that we show up on a Sunday morning and we hear our pastor preach, and that's it. Maybe we go to Sunday school, or maybe we go to a Bible study class, maybe. But we never engage our thinking abilities in seeking after Christ. And Paul tells us right here that for us to seek Jesus Christ, that one of the most important things that we can do is set our minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. We will engage ourselves in all kinds of enrichment exercises everywhere except for pursuing the very things of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you dug into something that actually challenged your heart and your life in thinking about the things and claims of Jesus? Could it be that one of the things that you could do in 2016 is to begin to engage your mind to help yourself begin to understand even more about what Jesus Christ is saying? But then it's not just about seeking the things that are above or setting our minds on the things that are above. But Paul helps us understand that we have to recognize who is in control of our lives. Look with me in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Some of us in our lives are actually gripped by fear. And we're really disturbed. We're really scared about what could happen to us if we choose to truly pursue Jesus Christ. As a young man in high school, I had big plans. I had big goals that I wanted to, to accomplish and what I wanted to do. And the scariest thing that I would ever come to was a place where I would hear a camp speaker or someone say, make sure you surrender your entire heart and life to Christ. And I was scared of that because I thought that meant that God was going to send me as a missionary to Siberia. 
Or that God was going to send me to the furthest corners of the earth where I didn't want to go. That's what I was scared of. I was scared to actually trust God with my life. And I've talked to countless Christians. Parents who are scared to release their children to go into the mission field. Grandparents who are scared of what the next day is going to bring because of some malady or illness that's in their life. Moms and dads who really don't know what's going to happen because it looks like the job market is shaking up or the financial markets are breaking up. Can we, as believers in Jesus Christ, understand that Jesus Christ is everything? And because of that, friends, we have no fear. Yes, I know that hard times may come. In fact, I shouldn't say may. Hard times will come. You are going to face struggles. You are going to face a medical emergency. You are going to face some of those financial hiccups. You are going to face children who are going to make choices that you don't even think are the best choices. You are going to face difficult times and difficult choices. But as we face those, can we know that our life is placed in the hands of the Almighty God? And if Jesus Christ is everything, we can live a life of surrender that says, God, be glorified in me. God, be glorified through me. Let the light of Jesus Christ shine through my heart and my life. Now there's a reward. In verse 4, Paul gives us the reward. It happens when we see Him in glory. At some point, our time is finished. Or Jesus Christ is going to return. And then we will receive that reward. Friends, the payment for a life of surrender in Jesus Christ can be realized here, but its ultimate payout is when we see Jesus Christ face to face. When we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter into my rest. So the question, quite simply for you and for me, is do you place Jesus first? Do you place Jesus first? first. Now I want you to stop and think, okay, we, we do have a few more days before New Year's. I want you to stop and think about some of the resolutions you might be making. Not many of you actually were thinking about that by show of hands earlier. But anyway, some of you may need to think through, God, what could be something that I could set as a goal in 2016 so that I could seek you more? This may be a conversation that you need to have with one of your pastors. You say, you know, I've been kind of coasting in my Christian life. What could be something that would move me to the next level in following Jesus Christ? Could it be that one of the things that you need to start thinking about is is having a Bible reading goal? Where you're going to say, you know what? This year I'm going to do it. I'm going to read the entire New Testament from beginning to end. Or maybe I'm going to read the Old Testament prophets and I'm going to dig in and I'm actually going to, to maybe buy a, a, a study Bible so that I can understand a little bit what's going on and, and, and go deeper with God in, in that section. Maybe this is the year that you start off with a, a prayer journal and you actually begin to, when you say, I'll pray for you, brother, or I'll pray for your sister, that you actually do it instead of just using your words. Maybe 2016 could be that year where you change so that you're seeking God first. What could God be challenging you this morning to be doing so that you can do this right? Now, maybe you've heard the phrase, 
Well, you know, if I do some of this kind of stuff, I, 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 I actually had somebody tell me this before. I, you, know, you know, all those people who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard this? Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you ever actually met that person? I don't know where this came from. And it seems like in, within evangelicalism, within Christians, Christian circles, you find people who are like, well, you know what, you don't, you don't want to get too serious about this kind of stuff because if you get too deep in this, you're not going to be any good for this world. Well, I like to call hogwash on that because uh, if that's the case, that's, that it negates all of Jesus' ministry. And the more that we get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the more that we go deeper in our relationship with Christ, there's a funny thing that begins to happen. If we are truly following Jesus, our look becomes increasingly outward to the needs and concerns of those in our community and those around us because our heart begins to beat more strongly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is always outward facing. So friends, can I invite you this New Year's to seek Jesus first by living in the new that we seek Jesus first. But Paul's not done. Not only does he tell us to seek Jesus first, number one, he also tells us to go to war. To go to war against our flesh. Did you catch this? This is an amazing picture in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. This isn't some sort of, oh, I'm going to sit back and just kind of hope that everything that's negative in my life just gets washed away. No, this is an active declaration of war. In fact, Paul actually tells us the very things that we are to go to war against. In fact, it's almost like the loudspeaker crackles on and says, these things must die. And here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, all which are idolatry. All of these things, Paul says, we need to package up and you're going to war against these things and you are going to kill them. Done. Put to death. No more. We don't often think about God talking in these terms. Right? We don't talk about going to war against things in our flesh. We don't talk about it in this way, but this is exactly the way the text pictures it for us, is that this is an active declaration of war. If we literally proclaim Jesus Christ is everything... You want to say that with me again? Jesus Christ is everything. We are declaring war on these things. Now watch. I don't want to, we don't have time to sit and unpack all of these, but just think about it for a second. Our culture is saturated with sexual immorality. It's hard to look anywhere without being bombarded by these images. It's, it's hard for us to escape uh, just rampant passion with no channeling of that. It's hard for us not to see covetousness in our worldly society. It's hard for us to escape any of these kinds of things. These are things that our world wholesale embraces, and God's Word tells us, put them to death. Kill them when you see them. But if we're honest, if all of our life was put on the TV screen this morning, how many of us actually play with these things? Men, how, how many of you covet 
things that you search out on the web or have sexual desires for things that are inappropriate. And all, all of us do this time and time and time again. And in, doing, in so doing, notice that Paul says this is an idolatry. See, when Jesus Christ is everything, Jesus brokers no rivals. There will be nothing else that Jesus allows to sit on the shelf of the worship in our heart. And all of these other things are things that God knows become idols in our heart where we raise them up. John Calvin has said that the, our hearts manufacture idols. We can't stop it. They're veritable factories of idols that happen in our hearts and our lives. And that's why the text of Scripture tells us, put them to death. Go to war. They must die. And why? Look at this right here, verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Another unpopular topic, oh, the judgment of God. It's coming. And it's these issues, these very things that the wrath of God is coming. Go back into the Old Testament and look at the days of Noah. What were they doing that the text of Genesis tells us that brought the flood? Oh, it's these things. Go back into the children of Israel and when God brings judgment on the house of Israel, what are they doing? Oh, it's these things. The wrath of God is coming and brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not be a part of it. Let's go to war to put them to death. Now, when Paul is talking about putting these to death, mind you, he's talking about in your life. He's not talking on, about you going on a crusade to get rid of them in your neighbor's life. Right? Some of us are really happy to do Facebook posts and other kinds of things to attack the sexual immorality or covetousness or other things in other people's lives, and we're unwilling to deal with the hard, cold hard facts that this is something that's got a grip on our own life. Put it to death in our own hearts and lives. Now notice, these are bringing God's wrath. Oh, and verse 7, and these you also once walked. Oh, by the way, remember, this was you before Jesus. Right? This, this isn't something we get all arrogant about. Oh, I've solved all these problems in my life. Now you fix yours. This is something that we mourn and weep because we remember the pain that it caused our own heart and our own life. And when we chose and we moved because the Holy Spirit gave us the strength to say Jesus Christ is everything. Friends, our hearts were broken because of the false idols in our hearts and in our lives and they must be broken. In these you once walk. But then Paul is going to turn and he's going to give us another list. And he says, but now you must put off. Why do we have a shift here between put to death and put off? Well, I want you to look at the list that's here. If you still have your Bible open in verse 8. Here's, here's the next list that he gives. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. These are the things that we're really going to be just gut level honest here this morning, we kind of engage in a lot of these often. And then we kind of think, well, you know, hey, everybody kind of does these. These are, these are kind of the, the sins that we recognize that everyone kind of has and, and we just really don't want to deal with them. 
Does it make sense? They're almost kind of like our pet sins. Well, you know, I have a little bit of an anger trouble. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, occasionally those words just slip out of my mouth, that obscene talk. Well, you know, I'm kind of dealing with it, but it's all okay. Let's all keep going. And we move away from ever dealing with these issues. They become like our little pet sins. And we condone them, and we just say it'll all be okay. And we never deal with it. Paul says these others are very serious. We need to put to death. In fact, they're going to warn your body the entire adult life that you have or young adult life, you will continue to battle these. But these other things are things that you need to put off. And the image is that of taking off a coat or your clothes to put them in the wash. As a young man, I used to work at Chick-fil-A. I was a chicken nerd and uh, enjoy, uh, I actually enjoyed it quite a lot. But it was an amazing thing. I would work a shift at Chick-fil-A and I would get off. I was at a Chick-fil-A that was in a mall. And I would get off work and I would go and I'd have some time to kill before I needed to be home or whatever. And I'd go into the mall. And I'd go into some of the stores. And I still have my uniform on. And as I walked into some of the stores, people would go, I smell chicken. I, I smell chicken. And every time I walked somewhere, people would go, I smell chicken. Hey, somebody want to go get Chick-fil-A? And you just kind of, you had the smell. It was all in your clothes. And, or my mom would pick me up or, or my dad would pick me up. And they, smells like chicken. I, that smells really good. I'm really hungry now. I wanted nothing else but to get those clothes off because the stink of chicken was on my clothes. They need to be washed. And this is the image that Paul is giving us to take off the stink of sin. To take off and get rid of. Get it off of your body. Because even harboring these lesser sins, the lying, the anger, the slander, the malice, these are not something that we are to Put up with. They, they still carry the stink of the world and they do not allow us to reflect Jesus Christ. So take it off. Get rid of it. But notice, we're to put on something in its place. How many of you this morning are wearing new clothes that you got for Christmas? I'm wearing a new sweater I got for Christmas. Awesome, right? A lot of times you got you get clothes for Christmas, right? It's a good thing. Or you got a gift card and you went out and bought something. You got something new. We like to get these new things. And, and, and what Paul is saying is many of you are still dressed in spiritual rags, even though because of the gift of Jesus Christ, you have a closet full of the best clothes that you could ever have righteousness and, and purity and all of these other things that are there, but instead of wearing the best of the best, you still are wearing your old worn out rags that Jesus gave everything for you to get rid of. How many of you are continuing to walk in the old instead of walking in Jesus Christ? Instead of walking in the new. Paul actually takes this even further. Look in verse 10. He says, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. We're supposed to look more and more like Jesus. In fact, that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life to make us more and more like Jesus. And then Paul says something that's very important for us to recognize. Verse 11. Here, and he's talking about the church. He's talking about the church in Colossae. Here there is no Greek and Jew. There's neither circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But what? Christ is all and in all. Paul wants us to understand 
that putting on Jesus Christ is such an important thing that it fundamentally changes and alters everything about you. So much so that your identity is completely bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. Say this with me one more time. Jesus Christ is everything. That is your identity if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're from Missouri or Texas. It doesn't matter if you're from another continent or the United States. It doesn't matter if you came from this background or that background. It doesn't matter because our identity is in Jesus alone. Now, it's really popular these days to hyphenate everything, right? It's really popular. And you see this all the time. It's like, well, I am a something, something. So we'll put these ideas together. I am a contemporary modern Christian. I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm a Baptist Christian. We'll hyphenate everything. And in fact, it's gotten so bad that we'll even take things that the Scripture says are not true and hyphenate it with it, right? I'm a divorced Christian. I'm a gay Christian. And we put these things and we try to hold terms together that were never meant to match up together ever. And we define our Christianity by the things that God has said put to death. Our identity must be in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Everything else goes away. It's not the case that I am an American Christian. I am a Christian fundamentally and foremost and everything because Jesus Christ is everything. The United States could disappear tomorrow and it doesn't change that fundamental fact. Jesus Christ is everything. Friends, for many of us in our lives, that is the missing piece. You have been struggling in your life day in, day out, because you want to be in control of your destiny and you want to be in control of your identity. And Jesus is saying simply surrender to Him because that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. Follow Jesus that your whole identity is wrapped up in Him and in Christ alone. Did you catch that? But Christ is all and in all. Jesus Christ is everything. And beyond that, we have nothing. We have nothing. Jesus Christ is everything. But then we move to Paul's third point. Not only do we need to seek Jesus first, and not only do we need to go to war with our flesh, but we also need to show Christ. Starting in verse 12, Paul says, put on. And it's again, it's a repetition of something that he's already said, but put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he gives another list. Just in the same way that he gave these lists of things that we're supposed to get rid of, he's going to show us as a church, as individuals, the things that we are supposed to put on so that we are those who show Christ. As a young man, I was somebody who was really caught up in labels, right? And I don't mean like stickers that you stick on things. I'm talking about uh, identity markers that were related to status, right? When I, in the 80s, you either wanted a little polo guy on your shirt 
or you wanted a little alligator. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are nodding yes, no. Okay, sometimes it's, it's even as simple as, I want to make sure I have an iPhone and not an Android. Or I want to make sure I've got a little Apple in the back of my computer instead of an IBM. Or I want to make sure that my car says BMW instead of Honda. It doesn't matter. We identify and we create a means of showing our, who we are by the things that we purchase and drive and do. And it's very consistent with American culture to do this, but it's not consistent with the Scriptures. See, if Jesus Christ is everything, and I'm going to war with my flesh, and I'm putting to death all of these things, and I'm taking off all of these things that I'm not, all that's left for me to do is to put on the things that help me radiate the reality of Jesus Christ. So that when people come in touch, in contact with me, when they come in touch with me, what they are seeing is the person of Jesus Christ at work. That's what they begin to see. It's not the clothes that you wear. It's not how your hair is done. It's not the car that you drive. It's not the shoes that are on your feet. They come in contact with you and they walk away going, man, that person is an, an incredible follower of Jesus Christ. And that's the impression that they have when they walk away. So how do we do that? Well, we show forth Christ by putting on, and look what he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other. Oh, and do that, by the way, the same way that God has forgiven you. Uh, you must also forgive. There's a standard that's there. We are to do these things. These are the kinds of things that when someone walks in the doors of Glenwood Baptist Church and they begin to interact with you, they begin to hear tones of forgiveness. They begin to hear tones of compassion and they begin to hear all these tones come together in the beautiful music of the gospel reflecting Jesus Christ is everything. See, that's what defines a great church, actually. It's not size. It's not your building. It's not anything else. But it's that do you follow Jesus Christ? And do we begin to see these hallmarks at play in our congregation? If we start seeing all of these kinds of qualities at work in our own lives personally and at work in between uh, our relationships with one another, then what we are demonstrating is that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is everything, and we begin to see the Gospel played out and worked out in our lives. And then in verse 14, Paul helps sum it all up with a coup de grace and above all, put on love. So it's not just that you put on all these other kinds of things. Oh yeah, we remember 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter where the greatest of all things is love. But he says it here to the church in Colossae as well. Oh yeah, put on love which binds everything together. This is hard. Can we just be honest? This is hard. Look around this room. There are people from every socioeconomic bracket here. There are people in this room from every age category. There are people in here who listen to music that another person in this room absolutely hates. There are people in this room who uh, participate in sports or activities that another person can't stand. There's some of you who like the Chiefs. Go Chiefs today, please, Chiefs. Okay. And there's some of you who don't like the Chiefs. There's some of you who maybe don't like the Royals. I don't know who that would be. But some of you don't. But you, you see what I'm saying? We get in all these different situations and then add to that, we bring people into our congregations who come and some of you, quite frankly, are weird. <laughs> and, and, and so <laughs> we're, we're, we're just different. But do you understand that God does that on purpose? 
that God brings into this room something that unifies all of us. We're not a country club where the thing that unifies us is that we make a certain amount of money. We're not a shopping club where the thing that, uh, that unifies us is that we like to save money. We're, we're not the, 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 um, the AA where we have some sort of plight that we all have to identify with. We come together because of one reason. Jesus Christ. And friends, if Jesus Christ is everything, we begin to take all of those things that I don't like about that other person and I start shoving it in the background because that's my brother or my sister in Christ. That is what makes the difference. That is what the world is longing to see in our churches is men and women who say, you know what? I'm weird, you're weird, but we love Jesus, let's go. And we just kind of live life together. And when we do that, we begin to bump into one another. We begin to show it. So when people walk in our doors, they go, this is the weirdest group of people I've ever seen, but I can't escape the fact that they love one another in Jesus Christ. And I can't escape the story that they keep telling me that Jesus loves me. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Share Christ. Show Christ in every single way. And Paul continues this thought of as the, as the love comes together, verse 15, he gives us a couple of let things, things that need to happen, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. Friends, when Jesus' peace rules, this is the Gospel. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is what this is all about. Jesus Christ came. We just celebrated His birth on December 25th. But Jesus Christ came, God in human flesh, and He came and He gave up everything. He died for your sins and my sins so that we could have a relationship with God. So that He could bring healing to our hearts. And He offers to you peace. Your heart may be in turmoil. Your heart may be in, in all kinds of different places, but He offers you peace. Because when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, friends, it orders your life correctly. There are people all the way around you who know this. If you came with a friend today, talk to them later about how the peace of Christ reigns in their hearts. Talk to one of the pastors about this. Friends, come to Jesus and experience the reality of peace. I didn't say easy. I didn't say wealth. I didn't say any of those things. But peace can rule in your heart. And for those of us who are believers, notice what begins to happen. If the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, it begins to change our hearts. In my text, it says that thankful. Some of it, some texts show that we show grace. And we begin to see this work out. So we let the peace of God, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Notice in verse 16, another thing that we're to have happen in our lives. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Friends, the Word of Christ, and this is a specific challenge, okay? The Word of Christ is this right here. It's the text of Scripture. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you're not in the Word, how can it dwell in you richly? As you start looking into 2016, would you start getting into the Word? 
Now listen, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae who really has a hard time with one thing, rules and regulations. They had been told to do this, and they had been told to do that, and they had had this legalistic system and legalistic structure. I'm not giving you that. Paul's not giving you that. He's just saying, fall in love with the Word. And if that means that you read one verse a day, so be it. If that means you read a chapter a day, so be it. If that means you read a book a day, so be it. Just fall in love with the riches of the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. It's, it just never ceases to boggle my mind that we have young adults who can plow through however many volumes there are in a Harry Potter series, and many of them have never even read a gospel all the way through. Or how about in your life that you've read maybe all of John Grisham's novels, or, or all of you know, some other series of author that you really love, and you've never even read the book that God has given us from cover to cover. It's not all easy to understand. I get that. But this is the Word that God gave us, and there are plenty of study tools to help you. Let the Word of God dwell in your hearts richly. Get in the Word of God. We can't keep assuming that it's just going to happen somehow magically by osmosis or something. Get in the Word of God. And notice how that begins to play out again in a corporate way. As the Word of God dwells in you richly, that you begin to admonish one another. See, when we come together on a Sunday morning, it's, I know that sometimes our hearts are hurting and this can be a great encouragement, but ultimately what it's designed to be on a Sunday morning is the culmination of your own study during the week. And we come together and we encourage one another because of what God has already done individually in our hearts during the week. So that then when we come together, what happens? We admonish one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. It, it just is an overflow. So Sunday morning, whether we sing this type of song or that, it's irrelevant. I'm coming together because we're worshiping God corporately because of what He's done in our hearts and our lives individually. And then Paul closes this section in verse 16. And in whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do everything. That works at work. That works at school. That works in our houses. That works in our relationships. Do everything. Everything. Everything in the name of Jesus. And why? Can you say this with me again? Jesus Christ is everything. One more time. Jesus Christ is everything. Jesus Christ is everything at school. Jesus Christ is everything at work. Jesus Christ is everything at church. Jesus Christ is everything in your marriage. Jesus Christ, friends, is everything. And there's no end to where He's Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before You praising You. God, how is it that we as individuals who are so unworthy of Your grace and so unworthy of Your mercy that You came to give us grace and mercy and most of all, love. God, You bring together for us all of these things in a powerful way. 
And God, we can really live if we will trust You. God, this morning, we're here. It's Glenwood Baptist Church. Got a church with a history of, of faithfully proclaiming Your Word. We're here with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who love each other. God, I pray that You would work in their hearts, even right now, in the power of Your Holy Spirit, to highlight to the areas, God, where they're not seeking You. God, to, to highlight and circle those areas that they need to go to war in their lives. God, that You would give them the strength and the courage to show Jesus in every single way. Because Jesus, You are our everything. God, I pray that You take the men and women that are gathered together in this room today, that You would do something incredible in 2016. Something so unbelievable that when anyone looks, all they can do is bring glory to You, the Almighty God, the Almighty King, and our Savior. And that they in turn would seek Jesus. Help us be a Gospel-driven people. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.